Hi, I'm James Crichton, and this is Actors on Process. Today is Monday, August 10th, 2020, and my guest today is Emily Cass McDonnell. Emily was seen most recently in Lucas Nath's The Thin Place at Playwrights Horizons. Additional theater credits include The Antipodes, Tin Cat Shoes, Mercury Fur, Grasses of a Thousand Colors, American Sligo, Cage Love, and Aunt Dan and Lemon. On screen, she was seen most recently in Marriage Story on Netflix, where she played Alan Alda's daughter, Nell, and will appear in the upcoming film, The Man in the Woods. A few years ago, I found myself in a lab entitled Embracing Nerves, taught by Emily alongside casting directors Laura Rosenthal and Mary Beth Fox. I found out during our interview that Emily used to be a yoga teacher, so it made sense to me that in the first part of that lab series, Emily provided yoga-based relaxation that we were told could be employed at home, in the audition room, or, quote, even while waiting in that unsettling lobby for your name to be called, end quote. I was so struck by Emily in that lab. Then, in October of 2019, when I was on the fifth floor of Playwrights Horizons in rehearsals for the workshop of Unknown Soldier, Emily was arriving for her first day of rehearsal for The Thin Place. Our paths crossed in the hallway, and shortly thereafter, I found myself in the first row mesmerized by her performance in that play. Finally, after that, I did a double take a few months later as I was watching Marriage Story and realized it was Emily once again. At that point, I realized we were coming in contact with each other so often, directly or indirectly, that I needed to try to set up an interview. Shortly after we began this quarantining period of isolation, I sent Emily an email and was thrilled when we were able to set up a time to chat. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow me on Instagram, at Actors on Process. And if you like what you hear, please leave me a review and pass this podcast along to two or three of your closest actor friends. And now, without any further ado, here's Emily Cass McDonald. Colorado, which you might remember from Mark and Mindy. <laughs> you don't, probably, you're too young. But there's a certain age group where everyone's like, oh, Mark and Mindy. Or it used to be that's what people identified with Boulder or do you ski. Um, and it uh, was a college town. Um, it's a beautiful place to grow up. I still go back. My mom is still alive and I go visit her. Um, and yeah, I was into theater early, like quite early. There was like a regional uh, theater like a, a, that, had, that was doing a Christmas play and they were casting children and I said I wanted to be in it. And then there was a children's theater that I was sort of involved in in Boulder. And then in high school, I didn't, I was artsy, but 
it, I don't know, maybe embarrassingly, I was maybe a little too cool for the theater. I know it's awful to say. No, I love <laughs> that. I, I knew I wanted to be an actress still. And I had a sort of interesting high school um, trajectory. I was in high school at a big high school. Um, and then I, my family went through a lot of changes and I went through changes and um, I ended up going to like moving out of my parents' home um, when I was 17 and moving in with my boyfriend who I met working at the health food store and went to this little tiny Buddhist high school that was mainly for kids who were a little troubled, but I didn't really have that, but I was allowed to call in my own absence and we didn't use textbooks which was pretty interesting. It was an alternative high school. It, it, I mean, we used textbooks for science and math, but um, it, it was very experimental. Um, and I did, I did theater arts there, but not really performing in plays. But I always, I never lost track of the goal that I wanted to go to New York and be an actress. And so um, I applied to NYU. It was the only college I applied to. And thank God I got in. Oh my gosh. That's so you went to NYU and when you got there, was New York and the school exactly sort of what you hoped it was regarding I mean, you were very cool for theater in high school at the time, but <laughs> were you able to sort of get on board with it in college or Yeah. I mean, I was um let's see, how do I answer that? I mean, so I went to Strasbourg and okay. it was quite a shock to my system, even though I had like already moved out of my parents' house in Boulder, it was, it was a shock to my system to be in the big city. Um, and I never lived in the student housing. I knew a, a, a friend from Boulder who was a senior also studying at Tisch. Um, and so we got an apartment together and I, um, I think that, I mean, and so I studied at Strasbourg and I had a, a few wonderful teachers there, particularly this man, Jeffrey Horn, who still um, is a teacher there and always shows up at all my plays, which is really lovely. Um, but the school was so massive. And I, when people ask me now, I sort of tell them I would go to a smaller school if I were to do it all over again. I think I got a little lost in the system. I ended up at ETW, which was sort of more suited towards me, the experimental theater wing. Um, but uh, I wasn't, I wanted to be in more plays at the college. It was very competitive. Um, and I think I got cast in maybe two only. Um, but I, uh, the conservatory training was great. Um, and it gave a soft landing to the city, uh, I would say, yeah. At, at NYU, are you allowed to be sort of auditioning and pursuing representation or is it strictly- No, you can't. Got it. So do they set you up for success in terms of showcasing and representation or how did that go for you? You know, if they did, I wasn't really hooked into that kind of thinking yet. Um, I, when I, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be an actress, but, and this has sort of always been a, a, I wouldn't say struggle. It's like, I haven't been um, 
the business side of it, I haven't, I haven't totally mastered. And part of that I feel like is because of my, um, because there's something that I want to protect in myself that I find um, hard to do in the business. You know, I think I, you know what I'm saying. But um, I I got sort of more into, I went to, um, what's it called? I went to Williamstown Theater Festival and I did their apprentice program and that I had a great experience with. And then, um, and then I did their non-equity company. And I met people there that I sort of collaborated with when I got out of school. And uh, particularly, I met the wonderful writer-director, Richard Maxwell, who does a sort of more downtown, I guess, I got more into downtown theater. Um, and it was sort of by default. I mean, it was, a, it was sort of where you go, where you're interested in, and also where it takes you. And that was sort of, um, you know, I didn't have representation when I got out of school, um, but I ended up working with Rich Maxwell, and then that led to, I worked with the Wooster Group when I was quite young, and they started to first open up their company when I was like 25, um, so things like that. What do you feel was your sort of like, quote unquote, big break in the city? Hmm. Well, I think it was like, it, it came in different pieces. And I, for me, it was a really big deal when I got cast in the Wooster Group. Like I was ecstatic and they had been a company that I had studied in school and, you know, Willem Dafoe was in it and um, Elizabeth LeCompte, I really admired her work. Um, and I was quite, you know, at the time I didn't think I was young, <laughs> but I was 26, so I was pretty young. And and they were a company, which was really exciting to me. Um, and we did this play, North Atlantic. Um, and so that was one time. And then another time was, uh, it was a play that actually didn't sort of have didn't do that well commercially, but was a big shift in my life, which was, I did this play um, called Shoppers Carried by Escalators into the Flames. <laughs> and it's a Dennis Johnson play, who's an amazing novelist. And um, it, it really, um, well, there was a lot of amazing actors in it. And it was a really big break for me. It was sort of, I got the audition. I didn't have representation at the time. I got the audition sort of by a fluke and um and booked the job which was like which really was at a point where it was like am I going to keep being an actress um <laughs> you know one of those and 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 then it was a really the, the that play really established a lot of relationships for me that have been really dear um the producer of this play was a woman um named Elizabeth Cathrell who became like a family member for me. And and um, Will Patton was in the play, who's also a close friend and an amazing actor. Mike Shannon was in the play, James Urbaniak, a lot of really interesting, wonderful actors um, who I still am friends with. Um, yeah, so that was another time. Um, I think the thing that I feel, I've had a very, 
like odd career, but one thing that I, and then I, I'm going to keep going that meeting Wally Sean and Andre Gregory, I worked with them for about five years and that was a real, a boon for me. And then working with Annie Baker, um, and Lucas Nath, I, I just, I ended up, I've ended up kind of being a playwrights actor who I, I'm usually with the place from the very beginning and they're writing it for me, with me. I mean, not that I do any of the writing, but you know, <laughs> in the process. And that's, I've really, I didn't set out to do that, but I am really grateful that that's where my life has led because it's really, really interesting and fun um, and what I want to be doing. I do wish the structure paid actors more, <laughs> you know, uh, in those situations. I wish it was more sustainable. And, um, but boy, is it, it's been what I've really wanted to do. And I feel really lucky that I've gotten to do as much great work with those people as I have. Of course. And I mean, it's so emotional. I mean, it, it hits me and I'm sure it hits a couple of other listeners the same way. Just you saying like, when you finally do whatever that success is for you, when you find that you hit it for a second, there's really nothing like it. And mm -hmm. so I'm glad that you never had to endure the conversation of what now, which I'm sure a lot of people have also, including myself, been like, wow, what would I do? There are those days when certain auditions pass you by or callback opportunities and things that feel like a glove and they escape you it's sort of it's a it's a big wake-up call but anyway away from the negative um i know that you mentioned that a lot of the work that you've been doing lately um wait can i say something about oh gosh, that yeah i just like it, it like it is it's such a hardship that actors have to do that but i also think it might be just to spin it and you saying it kind of tickled this in me like i do think it's also like it's like, it's also an amazing thing to keep choosing to be an actor. And, and it, is such, it, it is such a challenging life, but, and, and I think it is an important part of it to question it. Um, yeah, it, it, I, yeah, I think it is, it's part of, I mean, I, I wonder if, um, if there'll ever be a point where I, I, I long for the, a place of rest where I don't keep questioning it, where it's just like, this is what I do. And, you know, I thought, oh, well, when I turn this age or this thing, but no, it keeps, it keeps. It evolves. But what a beautiful thing to have, yeah, evolving. Like what a beautiful thing to have um, your relationship. Really for me, it's like my relationship with the outer world and my creative self in some ways to have that keep evolving. You're so right. And I think it's, probably really important, especially at this time, to look at it through that lens, um, how it will continue to keep evolving and what it will look like on the other end of this. But what I was going to ask was just, I know you've been doing a lot of work that has been sort of shaped towards you. Um, in the instances where that's not the case, and let's say that an audition comes to you um, for either a new play, TV episode, film, pilot, I know it's it always varies depending on each project, but is there something universal that you will do when you receive audition and script 
material to prepare? Mm. Um, not, I mean, I think it's pretty different when it's um, like an audition, but like I quickly try to get the text into my memory. Mm -hmm. um, because it's, for me, that has a lot to do with, it's not just memorizing something. Once I like learn a text, like I've internalized something. Yeah. Um, so, so there's that. Um, I don't, I don't have like a, a thing I do every time. Well, I wanted to sort of transition into the work then, and right. it's a little out of order. So just indulge this, but speaking about Annie Baker's Antipodes, um, in an interview with The Guardian, you mentioned that dream work was crucial to your approach in playing Eleanor in the play. And uh, I'm wondering if you could explain what dream work is and what led you to it. Oh, yeah. So maybe I guess when I say I don't do something every time, like the dream work is something that uh, I'll just say informs all of the work that I do. And um, I do something, I have an acting teacher named Kim Gillingham. And she worked with both Sandra Seacat, who is sort of the woman who started actors and dreams, having that be something that you put together. And then Kim also worked with, um, or studied with Marion Woodman, who is a Jungian uh, analyst who wrote a bunch of books. Um, but Kim, as work, so Kim's work is called Creative Dream Work. Um, and I had had a bunch of actor friends who I respected, who, you know, would always talk about Kim. And this is going back about um, 10 years. I've studied with Kim for over 10 years. Um, and I was like, huh, it's, it always seemed weird. Like, and I always felt like I wasn't really, I didn't really want to go back to acting class. I didn't really like have any desire to um, do something performative. <laughs> um, and this was actually, the first time I did it, I was like, oh my gosh, it felt like, it, it felt like it brought together like all these sorts of things that I was interested in. It's very psychological, it's very, um, it, it's very somatic, um, it's very, it felt like, honestly, it felt like taking mushrooms or something. Like it, it was really far out. And I was so like, oh wow, all these actors are doing this. And since then I've studied very seriously with Kim and go on these retreats where we work with our dreams. And it's very difficult to explain how, but, um, but it's using the unconscious um it's exploring really it's exploring the unconscious and where it collides with our creative material and so um you know in basic Jungian dream work you could look at you know there's a principle that you are every character and everything in the dream right 
And it's very interesting to sort of take a, a project and also ask those same questions like, you know, um, you know, I'm Eleanor, but I'm also everyone else at the table and I'm also the table and I'm also, and like, what, what, are, what are those perspectives? And so it gives this sort of, and then why you might ask a dream and young and dream work, like, why am I having this dream? Like, what is, what is it telling me? What belief system is it showing me? And approaching a play with that same sort of curiosity and curiosity into my own unconscious and my own um, sort of life that lives um, underneath the surface is a really, it brings a depth of performance, I find, but also just a depth of feeling and importance. It's a way of making meaning for my life, you know? Wow. So that, that really, I'm sure happens, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, does that mostly happen when you know you are doing this play and you have a role and it's for a rehearsal tool? Or is that also in some instances, if you have the time also preparing for an audition? Yeah, sometimes it's for preparing for an audition. And sometimes it's like, you know, it's like, why am I getting like, why am I keep getting asked to come in and play this certain part? And it's like, it's fun to turn that around and be like, so why am I being asked to play this part? And like, what is, like what's being asked here? And it certainly can add sort of a depth and also a, you know, it's such a miserable thing to like, just to be pounding the pavement and going in and, you know, having an, an audition and then that's it. And, and it gives it sort of a more layered like, uh, and and I find playfulness hmm. and and cohesiveness to your own career to your own life like it's so it's yeah you might have this audition and you might never get to play the part but then like what feelings is it bringing up in you and what's the dynamic that is being played in the characters and 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 you know where is that being reflected in your own life you know you get to it's yours, you get to play, you know, it's your experience yeah. though. It allows it to be more than just something you have to do and something that you could possibly learn from as well. Yeah, and more than just whether they give you the job or not. Right, know? I love that. Yeah. Um, well, talking about the play, I wrote down here that I wanted to ask you, the only thing that it says at the beginning of the published edition of the script is quote, Eleanor, 36 to 46, end quote, and, quote, I worked off the assumption that both Eleanor and Adam were hired due to pressure from HR, end quote. That is all Annie Baker provides at the top of the script. What do you find is the most sort of effective way to comb through a new script? Either, um, I guess, back to the thing before, maybe it's if it's under the lens of an audition or maybe in the rehearsal room. Well, I, I, that, that description wasn't ever until mm. the published version. So that was fun to see. Oh, interesting. Um, and, um, in both versions. So I'm the only woman at the table and then Adam is the, is a person of color. Um, so 
the play has that underlying, you know, the reality of the room is that. Mm. Um, and when I, I mean, for me, it's really hard to sit in my house and read a play me and too. then go into and, and have anything to offer it. Um, I've actually, during this quarantine, been doing play readings just on Zoom with friends. I have this group of writer friends where we've been doing it. And it's really fun because none of them are actors. Um, and some of them are fantastic because they're amazing writers. And then it's like, oh, wow, there's there's some link in that skill. Um, but um, But it's really not for any purpose like you know it's not um but i find it so much more enjoyable than reading a play by myself and yes. and once i go into um rehearsal it you know then i can go home and really be with the script and and uh i like to i i really believe in and really love and kind of feel like it's one of my skills is just I guess breaking down text or text analysis and I like to have that part of my brain and then I like to go into a sort of more lucid dreamy like into my body and like uh you know maybe really just letting things letting my body lead the way, like, where, you know, where's, when that person says that to me, what's the feeling in the body? Where is that? What's that like in my life? Oh yeah, that reminded me of this one time. Just like letting my brain have its course of thinking and popping up images and, and you know, working with that in a journal and, and not needing, I'm pretty, at this point in my life, I'm pretty good at like not needing it to be like, well, what's it doing for me? <laughs> you know, what's that, how is that, what's the choice there? Like I pretty much trust like, oh mm -hmm. yeah, that will have a, a color that I'm adept to the, what I'm doing. Um, and, it'll, and it's just, it's fun. It's fun for me to go into that, that space. Of course. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to, by any chance, read a little chunk of something from the Antipodes? Oh, from the Antipodes? Sure. Yeah, I was, th I was thinking, um, I mean, it's funny, I was thinking with both the Antipodes and the Thin Place, uh, which are the two last sort of major works that I've done. In both plays, I come and I sit down in a chair. Yes. And I barely, I, I never leave the stage until the play is over. And I'm going to be so sad when I'm in a play again where I have to leave the stage because <laughs> it's really something for, uh, to just like, to really trust in like, what's it like to just live and breathe in the room with other people. Absolutely. Um, so this is, I'll read, this is Eleanor's, um, the table, the table has gone around and everybody has told, or a few people have told their, um, losing their virginity stories. It's a, it's about a group of 
people coming up with a story that they're trying to tell and everyone else in the room is a man. And so Eleanor says, okay, um, it was actually really nice. Most of my friends had really weird experiences, but mine was really nice. Um, I was a senior in high school. He bagged groceries at the health food store. I actually ended up moving in with him, which is crazy now when I imagine having an 18 year old daughter moving in with some guy who works at the health food store, but that's what I did. Anyway, it was my 18th birthday and it was really sweet. And um, I've only told this story to other women and my boyfriends. Um, anyway, it was great. It was my 18th birthday and he made me a carrot cake. And I told him that night that I wanted to lose my virginity to him. And he said something like, sounds good. And, and um, yeah, we did it on his couch. And um, I was worried it would hurt, but I think I had actually lost my technical virginity years earlier climbing a fence. I had kind of sat down on this sharp, um, and I had bled everywhere, but the nice part of it was that when we had sex, it didn't really hurt at all, or, or maybe it hurt for like a split second, and then I actually came. We actually came at the same time. Is this too much detail? We came at the same time, and I told all my friends, and none of them believed me because half of them had never even had an orgasm, and I remember thinking I was going to have the most amazing sex life, but then, of course, there was like a decade of bad sex ahead of me. But somehow it was just kind of magical with Tony. His name was Tony. I think maybe it was the way his penis sort of bent upward. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Honestly, you know, I read the play, like I said, twice. And it's so amazing hearing it now in your voice. Like I've imagined sort of what it would be and that was so moving to me. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure, <laughs> thank you. oh my gosh, yeah, it was great. Um, I can't wait to sort of when I listen back to this to follow along in my copy of the dog-eared script, but um, mm -hmm. seriously, thank you for doing that. Um, the next question that I wanted to ask you sort of, I think ties into that speech a little bit. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the rehearsal process for the play and particularly maybe how Lila Neugebauer helped to steer the ship. There was so much unspoken storytelling that was layered into the play and I'm wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah well it's funny because we were we were remounting this play well it was somewhere in between a remount and really it wasn't a remount because we had five new actors like half the actors were new and mm. Lila was having to leave at a certain point she actually wasn't directing it um this woman, Michelle Ross, was directing it, who was Lila's assistant, and Lila was coming in and out. It was like based on our production. But um, yeah, I mean, Lila was a, is a really, I mean, she's wicked smart, and she uh, gives a lot of space um, to see what emerges, and then she starts to shape. Um, and that was, I think one of the big challenges of the play was Annie wrote it without any, um, she didn't want there to be like music shifts or lighting shifts or things. And scenes would, 
you know, as time was moving, and so how are we going to move through time? So it was like you'd be in one scene and it would just end and there'd be another scene. But Annie also specified that she didn't want there to be like a shift in lights or so. Um, a lot of that happened with um, Lila and Annie brought in a magician, um, Steve Chippo, who we did, who also worked on the Thin Place with me. But we did um, magic, uh, which would the the scene changes often happened with um, these meals that were coming um, from magical places, and that was how. Uh, that happened. Um, and, you know, really the task, and we were, you know, we're told this was just like, to we were just sitting around a table really talking to each other and really just listening and talking, and that was the task of the play. And Lila really shaped it with her notes and previews. Um, we'd, we'd get like a page or pages or whatever, your own personal notes most times. Wow. What were you most looking forward to about stepping into her shoes again? Oh, I mean, it, it's such an interesting thing to do, to yeah. do something and then do it a couple of years later. And I've actually gotten to do that quite a few times in my life. Um, I mean, it's always, it's always deeper, you know, to like go away from something and, um, and then come back and visit it like it's like oh wow um i was i mean i just it this is one of my favorite plays i've ever done so i was really excited just to to do the play and i was really excited to i was really interested in how i mean i mean now now the world has changed again but we did this play right before what we'll call the me too movement happened mm -hmm. right and you know, so to do a play that there's an undercurrent, I mean, an undercurrent of what the power dynamics are like um, was not nearly as obvious as it is in today's world. And it's hard to remember, I mean, for myself, it's hard to remember what the pre-Me Too movement felt like, you know, it's yeah. like, a, it's a really different world. And especially in the subject of like, how it is to be for me, Eleanor, a woman in a room that is full of men in a workplace. Um, it, it, it's, and I, so I was really excited because I had thoughts about it, but I don't think I would have really learned what it was like until being in front of the audience. Um, that was something I was really curious. And you know, Annie did a lot of, when we did it the first time, of taking away anything obvious. Like everything was, the aggressions were very micro for the most part. <laughs> um, you know, she's really disciplined that way. She really will um, strip things dry. And there was one joke that I just loved in the show. It was like the one time I got to really like point out something um and she took that joke away so i was like ah but i was curious to see what it was you know what it was like in the room with yeah. people in the room um and so we didn't get to do that but i was excited so that was a thing that i was excited about um 
I also just was excited to like hear the play again. Right. I'm so, so mad that I missed that one, but it lives in my, in my head, but um, transitioning to another play that you have done probably most recently and step back into the shoes again. Let's talk about the thin place, which uh, was written by Lucas Nath. And I saw at playwrights horizons um, back in November and um, indulge me again for a second. I'm just going to read another short quote from the New Yorker. Um, There's an article that states that you were involved in the development of the play um, from the earlier workshop stages. And it says, quote, he suggested that one actor, Emily Cass McDonald, pull a tissue out of her mouth against a background of red light as if it were ectoplasm. The actors practiced psychic readings on some interns. At night, Nath wrote pages of dialogue, end quote. So I'm wondering how much of the discoveries and explorations that you made during this workshop and then perhaps throughout the out-of-town production at the Actors Theatre of Louisville found their way to the New York City production? Um, well, a lot of it, not necessarily, I mean, Lucas also is somebody who's like, I mean, he, he writes and takes away boldly. <laughs> um, but he, a lot of the original ideas of things he was exploring stayed. Um, and Les Waters was the director on that one, who's a total gem. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the play changed a lot, but, and, and I would even say some of the structure of the play changed a lot, but uh, for example, there's a long monologue I have about uh, this, it's sort of a scary story um, that uh, my, uh, that's talking about uh, the disappearance of my mother. And that was in the very first workshop. Um, and then those things that, that New Yorker talks about, you know, we sort of, I think Lucas knew he wanted to end with a seance. Um, and so we were practicing things that didn't make it into the play, but he, I think he always knew he wanted this magic trick to happen at the end. Um, and he well, wanted- it he, happened. He wanted, <laughs> it happened. Yeah, good. I'm glad you were there on a the day that it worked. <laughs> oh, it worked and it scared the daylights out of me, but. <laughs> yeah, that was one of his early questions too in the early workshops were, when have you been scared in a play and in the theater? And Lucas is somebody, he likes, um, he likes the genre of horror. Um, and you know, there's the sort of existential scare that you feel in a in the theater, but he really wanted that like hair on the back of your neck rising and people got scared. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I was absolutely one of those people. Um, I don't want to give anything away. I mean, I know the production has ended, but there were some things that happened in that play. Um, I guess the one thing that I'll say, and you could just be like, stop. But the one thing that I'll say is, you know, at one point the lights do go out in some capacity. And I think the scariest part of it was the room was so intimate at Playwrights. It was the upstairs theater. I think the Peter Sharp one that had like 128 seats. And 
you know, we were all on top of each other and the lights go out. And I honestly was having trouble focusing on what you were saying and you remained steadfast in that chair. And I was convinced something was coming out at me from any direction. And I was in the like very, very first row, row AA. And I was, they can rest assured, I was truly scared out of my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Lucas talked about this, which I I didn't know until later. I mean, rehearsing under that red light was not particularly pleasant, Mm -hmm. um, mostly for the people in the audience. Um, But being like, I mean, mostly for, yeah, people looking into the red light. But something about the red light uh, I can't remember now exactly what it does, but it they used to use them in seances because your eyes start to play tricks on you. And so, um, yeah, people reported thinking that they saw the chair moving oh. and things like that. And um, it it was really just a little red light. <laughs> it, was, it was nuts. But um, I also just wanted to say really quickly that we met very briefly, a few years ago, um, through Laura Rosenthal and Mary Beth Fox's audition lab, which was titled Embracing Nerves. And um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit a little bit about your yoga-based relaxation and energy um, channeling techniques. Um, yeah, I, I, well, I was a yoga teacher for a really long time. And, um, and then, um, how do I, I, I taught, I teach that class with Laura and Mary Beth. Laura is, besides being, you know, a casting director that I admire, she's also a really good friend and, you know, knows sort of what I do. And they've started all these labs that are really great. And that they, she brought me in for that one. Um, and, I mean, for me, that class has been really and like a, a a lesson in trying to stay present, which I find, and I think most people find, incredibly hard in auditioning, right? Um, and how to use the cues of the body becoming adrenalized as asset for your work rather than something that you have to eliminate or fight against. Um, And it's really, it's called a lab because I like to think of it as an experiment um, and a chance to experiment with that. Um, And again, kind of going back to the dream work stuff or, I mean, I'd say one of the fundamental principles of like what I'm interested in acting and in performing myself and in actors is is a a moment-to-moment presence that's embodied and I'm interested in that in myself I'm interested in that in other people and I find in auditions, right, like Annie was telling me, they did the Antipodes in London and the audition process in London for a play, I mean, you know, this is different than film and television, is is about an hour long for each actor. They get an hour and you come in and you talk about the play and you you have like a 
relationship, you know, like, and I just was like, oh my God, I would so thrive in that world, um, in that way of doing it. You know, we, I think it's a mistake how we do it because you don't really get a lot, you know, you, you, somebody can get really good at auditioning, but that's, that's just one piece of it, you know? But so, and kind of like what we were talking about before with the dream work, I myself am really interested because of the reality of this business. It ha- it is a it is something that you do a lot, and it's part of your whole career. And so, how to make it something that's um, that's interesting for you and part of your own artistry is something I'm interested in. Um, yeah. And so, um, I mean, yeah, the the. And I, I, I wouldn't say like I think that the tech, like the technique I have, or if it's a technique, it's more and it is. It's derived from a lot of things I've studied. But it's like how do I like arrive in my body and live in a moment-to-moment awareness in a film audition that's you know seven lines in or something, um, or you know in one that's fifteen you know fifteen pages and you're it it's it's that's that's what i'm interested in myself and in the people i work with yeah well i i imagine that that work helped sort of just with the thin place i mean like you mentioned it was you sitting in a chair speaking directly to the audience everybody was on top of each other it took an immense amount of concentration and i imagine that you have to sort of just learn how to work with the adrenaline or the feelings that you are experiencing in that moment. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that was really scary for me about The Thin Place at first was that I had to actually talk to the audience. <laughs> um, yeah. But I I ended up really enjoying that piece of it. Um, but it, it was, you know, I'm sort of shy. I'm not an actor because I'm not shy. I mean, I have a performative side for sure, but so, I mean, one of the greatest things that Les said to me was like, you know, you can be, she can be as shy as you are. Like I, you know, luckily I wasn't being directed to be super performative. Um, And it was really like, and I think it was hard on the audience, but I, I do think the lighting design of having all the lights up you know, people had to behave themselves and, and sometimes they did not, but, you know, it's a, it was a challenge for the audience, but I do think it, it had them pay attention and really we are all longing to pay attention. I mean, it feels so good when you can pay attention and it's hard, you know, it's getting harder and harder to do our, 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 our lives aren't geared towards it. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting one in that way. Absolutely. Um, I wonder if you would indulge me just one more time um, reading a maybe a small piece from The Thin Place with possibly a tiny bit of setup with that. For sure. Yeah, I picked, I picked the very last monologue and I picked this one because, well, it, it was the last thing that was written and it 
um, it was sort of, you know, when you work on a new play and you're in previews, oftentimes you're getting pages and pages. And this was like, the, we had Thanksgiving off and I got these pages right before and I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, but then I was actually really happy to, to have to do it. And um, it's still like, I, I'm still, um, I'm still working out the meaning of it. And I think that's why I chose it. Um, but so this comes at the very end of the play after I've basically told the audience a long story. And then the, there's a sort of seance and, um, and the, the audience has been in the dark for about nine minutes with this red light that we have talked about. And then the lights come back on. And I had, I had met my character, Hilda, had established this relationship with um, a psychic named Linda. And Linda has sort of, she sort of has admitted that um, she doesn't, she, she, she's doing a trick. And I think this is sort of um, horrifying for Hilda. Hilda has some access to the other world she, and, and she believes in it. So this is the monologue. Um, <clears throat> that was the last time I ever saw Linda. She doesn't answer my calls. I can only guess why. Maybe she grew tired of me or maybe she was mad at me for taking her to my mother's place when she wasn't feeling well. Or maybe she experienced something that night, something real, and she just felt too embarrassed to admit she was wrong and I was right. Or maybe that night she slipped through to the other side. <laughs> or maybe I slipped through. Maybe I'm in the other place now. I don't know. Who knows anything really? Some people believe in a world beyond this one. Some people believe there's nothing. Some people believe in things like God or science or, and who's to say who's right? It's just so easy to make yourself see what you wanna see. That's something Linda taught me. We see what we need to see. And it's, it is really just the most wonderful thing because it means we're all right in a way, right? I don't know. I just like to keep an open mind about these things. That's it. It's just, I mean, it honestly, it has me so jazzed up again because it was so exciting at that moment in the play. You still sort of, didn't know what was coming or what was happening, but I was so. It was grateful. a really amazing moment for me because, I, I mean, I don't know if you had this experience, but the lights would come back on, and I'd watch the audience just like blinking their eyes. They were so shocked. Yeah. And and like it was like a real. It, like you said, like I could see, you know, it, it took trust and it took a, it, like me 
doing the show enough times, but to really be like, yeah, they don't know what's happening. And like, I had them just right there in the palm of my, you know, it was so fun. Like, and yeah. it's really, that was the writing. And to just like be in this room with people like really looking at me, like really not knowing what was going on. Um, and it was a, and, and I think, you know, with this monologue, it was like Hilda also, you know, she's sort of summing up something. And, you know, people might think that this is like, what's very interesting is that it's summing up something, but this is definitely not summing up a belief system that the playwright believes, <laughs> right? And so she's summing up this whole play in a certain way. And, and really, I think I've come to see it as like, and I have a lot of compassion for Hilda, that, you know, it's really like, she really wants to believe something. And she, and she, and there is like, there is the truth of like, I'm, I'm of a belief system where I'm like, who really knows? Like, we don't really know, but, Hilda's sort of using that as a way to um, to justify covering her eyes to something that she's that has been revealed to her because she doesn't want to believe that. Yeah. Yeah. And the best, I will not give this away, but the best scare was also still to come um, yes. <laughs> at the very, very end of the play. It was just incredible. So thank you again for, for sharing that. Um, and I just want to take like two more questions of your time. Um, but I, I mostly like to focus on, on theater on this podcast, but I loved Marriage Story so much. And that film, it just felt so much like a, a play with its long shots. And it was sprinkled mm -hmm. with like some of the best New York actors. And um, I'm wondering if you could just, do you remember what the character description for your character said? And and how that may have inspired your audition? Um, so I actually auditioned for the part that was the woman who, who was so fantastic in the movie um, that I was a little jealous again, that I, I was like, oh, he should have just told me not to smile. But it <laughs> the woman who comes in and um, is assessing the house and when he cuts his hand. Yes. Um, and so, oh my gosh, yes, that performance is so embedded in my brain as well. It's such a wild performance. It's so it's weird. So funny. <laughs> She's so funny. Like, um, but uh, Noah had me read that. Noah, I know because um, well, I've I've known him actually for years because he was friends with Wally Shawn, um, but he also happens to be Annie Baker's brother-in-law. So I've sort of know him um, and he wanted me to be in the film, um, which I'm so happy about because I also loved that film um, and am in such good company in it. But um, so I read for that other part. And then the part that I that I did was was quite small, but quite small on the page. Um, and in fact, he, and one might not even catch this, but I like this, that um, he told me, oh yeah, you're gonna be Alan Alda's daughter. 
And I was like, I had like four lines and none of them indicated that I was selling all this daughter. And he's like, oh no, we'll, we'll find some more things for you to say, like, don't worry or whatever. And then I was in the, like, the car in the morning with Alan Alda and I was like, yeah, so I guess I'm playing your daughter. And he was like, he's the sweetest, you know? And he's like, oh, is that right? You know, he's like, oh yeah. And then we were talking about, he's like, and actually Alan Alda came up with this bit. He's like, yeah, when we order the sandwich, I should say like, I want pastrami and you should say, you know, like, no dad. And I, um, I thought it was really funny. And then we got into the room and, you know, like, it's it's Alan Alda and Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver and you know um and, Was Laura and Dern in that scene and well? Laura Dern of course and and so you know they're they're talking about their scene basically and I was like oh yeah hey um Alan and I came up with a bit in the van and everyone was sort of like who's this girl <laughs> chiming in and and Noah was like uh what and I and I like gave I gave the setup and Alan on the pause and I was like oh no he's not gonna remember and then he's like I, I, I did his line. I was like, you know, he's gonna order a sandwich and then I'll say and then I like gave it to Alan Alda and then he's and and then he he landed it like he said he then remembered and was like and yeah and she'll say no dad or something like that and everyone laughed and so it made it into the movie which I was happy about because it established our relationship relationship yeah <laughs> there were so many other like un, again unspoken moments though that I feel helped develop your character as well and I had I guess I watched it mm, sort of closely after that I saw the thin place. And it was at that moment that I was like, I'm going to track her down and I want her for this oh, thank podcast. you so much. It's, it's, yeah. so, it's such a nice thing in this time to, to talk about work. And, you know, it's, I feel so grateful for the work. And then it's really lovely to be able to talk about it. Oh, well, my wrap-up question, which everybody right. who's done the podcast so far has answered, <laughs> is basically just, I say, as has become tradition, I'd love to end with a love note uh, from you to the theater. What keeps you coming back and why does it continue to ignite your soul? I mean, I love being in a room with other people making things. And I love telling stories and watching stories be told. And I love mystery. And I think, you know, we've been telling stories and, you know, around the fire or in rooms together. And it's it's the most powerful ritual and I don't know I think it's a gene you're born with it or you're not and I was definitely born with that gene <laughs> I love it I can't I wait to do it again I know whenever that will be but I can't wait to see whatever that is for you next and I hope that you continue to stay healthy and safe during this time thank you you too Thank you so much, Emily.
Thank you. Bye. Bye.